Well, welcome again, everyone, and uh, uh, welcome if you're new here. Uh, I have uh, three weeks, three Sundays left that I'm going to be here before I go on sabbatical. Uh, please do not take that as an opportunity to not come to church. Uh, I'll be leaving you in the hands of Pastor Jim Dew, who's been, he's been here before, uh, very solid, he knows this job better than I do. So, uh, but for those three weeks, I thought, before we get to that point, what I would do is I would look a little bit at our mission statement. So we're going to have a mini-series talking a little bit about our church mission statement, our church mission. We've spent a good deal of time over the last year with our strategic planning committee and our different groups in our congregation. I just thought I'd elaborate a little bit on what it means, maybe deep dive a little bit into it. Uh, so here's our mission statement. We can get that on the screen there. Love God, open our hearts and minds, and live graciously towards all. And you can see a little play off the Lord of Grace, L-O-G kind of acronym there. Uh, this is our plan for the next five years, more or less. This is our mission. This is our mission statement, which we hadn't really re-clarified in the whole, what, how many years? We started in 96, so we're not quite, we're like 28 years old as a congregation. Hadn't really revisited that. Uh, I wanted us as a church to really look at our mission statement, look at some of these strategic things. Just because our world has changed so much coming out of COVID, it was so disruptive, and the community's even changed. There's been lots of growth, and so our culture's changed. All this kind of stuff made me think, instead of just sort of by default going back to 2019, let's look forward and reposition ourselves. See where God wants us to go, where God needs us to go for the future. Start developing some strategies for spreading the gospel. Uh, and so, of course, every church, every church has a mission statement. And this is given to us by Jesus himself. It's right there in Matthew 28. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everyone everywhere has this mission. All Christians have this mission. Go out and spread the good news and teach the people to follow the commands of Christ. So the question for us then as a church became, in our spot with our gifts and who we are, who, who specifically are we called to share the good news with? And so we did some research as a committee. We did studies and looked at demographics and some of those really exciting things. And in general, we found that we are more or less a regional church. We're not one of those places where people drive to from all the way across town or Casa Grande or something. We're more or less continental ranch, reserve, park, whatever the new continental something is that they keep adding. Um, every day, I always used to tell people, where's your church? I'd say Continental Ranch, and they're like, well, there's also Continental Reserve. <laughs> yes, I acknowledge all the Continentals as equally valid. Um, but we're generally this area. We, we don't even have too many people from the other side of the freeway, although there's a lot of growth there, so that's, that's a growth edge for us to start looking into. But that's generally who we are. And so then we looked around at some of the other churches in our area on the basic idea that there's no point in reduplicating what someone else is doing. If the other churches are reaching someone, let's see who they're not reaching, right? It's called to go and make disciples, not steal disciples. 
So we're going to try it with, so, and God is a different place for different, right? A different calling for different congregations. So what is us? So let's try to be something different, right? Let's try to reach those who aren't reached uh, by others. And so we looked around. Uh, we found that just looking at ourselves, we really do have a lot of unique things. In many ways, we're different, right? We're kind of a mainline church. We're a part of a denomination. We do some different things. We do communion every week. Uh, so we tend to, we have sacraments, we have this nice building, um, and we, we do infant baptism, some of these kind of things that are a little different. Uh, and uh, so we're also theologically maybe a little bit more progressive, although that label's a little bit loaded, but we're not literalists. We don't believe that people rode dinosaurs or that the earth is flat and only 6,000 years old or something like that. Uh, you know, so we thought that that, was, that sets us apart from some. And uh, we also felt, as a committee, we wanted to be politically maybe a little bit more neutral. We didn't want to dive deep into guns and stuff like that. Uh, so this is both a challenge and an opportunity. We're presented with a challenge and an opportunity. The, big upper, the challenge is that more and more people in our world don't go to any church at all and have no relationship with Christ. The opportunity is that our, our congregation, the ELCA, our denomination in general, our beliefs are closer to where most of the world is and where things are moving. There are fewer people who believe that humans rode dinosaurs. Uh, so in a sense, we're more, we are more where people are. There's less of a boundary there. But because there's fewer people interested at all, there's a challenge. So we have both of those. So we have to ask ourselves the question, okay, if we've got this great thing that God's given us, one, how do we hold ourselves accountable to being a safe and welcoming place? How do we, wel how do we hold ourselves accountable to being a place where people who maybe are alienated or hurt or wounded by religion uh, or maybe didn't feel accepted can feel accepted here? And two, how do we get the message out that that's what we do? And it sounds simple, in a sense, who's against love and welcome, right? Every church everywhere will tell you they're, they're loving and welcoming. Uh, a lot of people tell you that hasn't always been their experience, though. You know, the churches will talk really well, welcoming, and then after a few months, they'll start finding out that, well, you know, you need to change this now, and you need to change this now, and you need to give up this now, and you need to pray away this now. And the next thing you know, it's like, wait, but I thought you said all were welcome. And it's like, well, you're welcome, but at some point you've got to get with the program. And, uh, uh, and so I call it sort of welcome on a probationary basis. Or you get a grace period. You're welcome to come as you are, but at a certain point, right, certain point, get with the program. And I think we can do better than that. Uh, and of course, not all behavior is welcome, right? You always say, everybody's welcome. Okay, I'll welcome a mob hitman to my church. I will not encourage you to continue in your line of work. <laughs> but being a hitman is not the way God made you. God did not make you a hitman. You need to change, you can change that part of yourself. It isn't who you are. But if it's something that's a part of who God made you, then, that, then, then who am I to tell you that that's wrong? And in many ways, that's kind of been my philosophy for the last few years. I've been here 13 years now. 
And that's been my philosophy, that the church should be a place where people can come and not have to deal with, I hate to say crap, but that's kind of what it is. Church junk, drama, bullying. Uh, and it's caused, at times, it's caused me some pain. Uh, I've gotten involved, there's been some vicious personal attacks I've had to take. I've seen people walk out because of it. But I am proud to say that in general, I get good feedback when people come to visit our church. They don't walk away for the most part saying, you know, man, those people just glared at me because my kids made too much noise. I can guarantee you, the pastor's kid is leading the way. <laughs> Zeal for your heart consumes me. One person said, one of the things they liked about Lord of Grace, they said, we're rowdy friendly. I can bring my rowdy boys. And when they Superman dive off the Ottomans in the narthex, people don't give the death glare. So, you know, it's, a, it's something that I value, and I've always valued, is trying to make the church a safe and welcoming place so people don't come and, you know, and I, there's been headaches for it, and I have accepted that, you know, sometimes I'll just have to be the punching bag. And if that's what I have, if I have to be the punching bag so that I can make people feel safe, if I have to take a hit for that, then that's, so be it. I'll do that. I want to be a place where people can come and not be burned by religion. So, that's a little bit of the background of it. Let's look at that mission statement again. Let's look at the first line. Today we're just going to look at the first line. Love God and celebrate God's love for us in vibrant and creative worship. Worship is still more or less the center of our community. It's, it's what most of us do. It's the, if we only do one thing at the church, it's worship. It's where most people encounter our church for the first time. I think we do it pretty well. I'm biased, but I'll brag a little bit. I always, you know, either service, our music is good. You know, we don't have light shows. I know we're adding new lights in here. I did not include a bid for lasers and fog machines. You could get those. We could get it, and then we could program the lasers to go in sync with Stuart's guitar, right? So then they'd flash with his guitar, and I could turn on the fog machine. People would definitely feel the love of Christ that way. But we don't have, we, we don't have jumbotrons, but, but we do it, and we do it, and we don't take it too seriously. So when the pastor forgets the, the benediction, like I did last week, and I, I had to look at the screen. We don't go, oh, my sense of worship has been destroyed. The moment is ruined. We don't take ourselves that seriously. You know, if we start playing the wrong hymn, that's happened at the first one, we start playing the wrong hymn and have to walk over and go, I think we got the wrong one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We flip through and don't go, oh, that's it, that's it. God was not present. We try to do it and have fun with it, take it seriously but not be too serious. And what we also try to do, there's a couple things that I always try to do. One is have a sense of joy. Have a sense of joy in the community. And two, an experience of God through holiness, transcendence, mystery, use some big words there. But I think this is really important in our, in our world today. 
You know, because everything, everything in, that, that's driving the news and our conversations is just, it's all crisis and threat and fear, and it's just, it's so palpable. And it's not like the news has ever been terribly optimistic. I mean, it's always, what was the old slogan they've had? They've had that for like 50, 60 years. If it bleeds, it leads. You know, remember back when people watched news at night on, t on the, this thing called the television? Right? And I remember when I lived in New Jersey, I did my internship year there, and it was northern New Jersey, so our TV came from New York City. And so it was New York in the 90s, so every day there'd be like five shootings would be how we would start every news broadcast. And I'm like, what does that do? And that's if you just get inundated with that. Or if you get inundated with, you know, people sitting on the radio or on, the, on cable news trying to get you mad, right? They want to get you mad because if you're mad, you're more likely to vote. They've studied this. Happy people stay home on poll days. Mad people, get to the polls. So I'm going to get you mad. Someone's trying to screw you. Someone's trying to get you. Those people are taking something from you. They lied to you. Oh, oh, I'm mad, I'm mad, right? It's a very cynical, deliberate, calculated attempt by people in think tanks with PhDs to go, and they actually will measure. If this person is more mad, are you more likely to vote? It's, it's not an accident. It's, it, it, they, they've saturated our world with it. So, and what happens, of course, if all you do is you sit and listen to people making you mad, you get grumpy, you get bitter, you get unhappy. You become like that guy in Florida. I, I know, I know, I know. We have our crazies too, but... This guy in Florida, I don't know if you heard about him. He, uh, uh, he, he had heard, he stepped outside his house and heard noise in the bushes in his backyard. Thought there must be an intruder, a bad guy out to get him. It's broad daylight. And here's the noise, so he takes out his gun. Identify yourself! Identify yourself! And the bushes wag a little bit more. They didn't say anything. Pow, 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 pow. Six, six shots. It was an 11-year-old girl playing hide-and-seek. That's why she didn't identify herself. She, had just, she didn't know where the property line was. She's not an Al-Qaeda terrorist out, or some sort of drug mafioso out to steal your stuff. She didn't know where the property line was. You know why she didn't answer you? Because she's playing hide-and-seek. You're not good at hide-and-seek if you answer the question when somebody says, where are you? That's Marco Polo. That's a different game. <laughs> and, and, I, and, and I saw that and I thought, you know, like, I remember taking gun safety. I remember taking gun safety. took it in eighth grade. And we had all these veteran hunters that were teaching us. They were teaching us. And I remember they, they took us for our final, our final exam. was a field test. And so they took us out in the woods. And I think there were like three or four of us in the group. And then a veteran hunter was with us. And we had these, like, fake guns, you know, or some of them were just even big sticks. And the point was to see, could you learn to handle this in a safe way? And so there were, the first two rules were, one, don't point it at anything you don't want to kill. Take this seriously, always. And you'd fail. I think a guy failed because he was playing with it. The second rule was don't shoot anything unless you know what it is. Right? And one of the guys with me actually did that. He heard a noise and he went, ah, pow, pow. And then the, the, the guy with us said, do you know what that was? He's like, yeah, it was a deer. Do you know it was a deer? Did you see the deer? 
Did you verify that it was a deer? How do you know it's not someone else and you're another hunter? Pow, pow, you know. Rule number six, gun safety 101, don't just shoot randomly. But if your heart and your mind are so filled with fear and the world is dark and scary, you shoot at, you shoot at 11-year-olds. I've heard she's going to live, that it wasn't fatal. But what has happened? What has happened is fear can come to replace love. And you can't really have both at the same time. They don't exist well together. To love someone, you have to make yourself open to them. You have to be a certain amount of vulnerable. You have to put yourself out there. You have to take a risk that you'll get hurt. When you hear someone in the bushes, you have to be willing to take that risk to ask nicely who they are. You have to let down your defenses. This is what it says in the first letter of John. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have not seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Some verses, like you could just shout to the heavens, right? There's a few, there's a few verses I would hide from somebody who's new to Christianity, but I'd point that one to them. If we let our guard down and we reach out to everybody in love, and we love first, without fear, without assuming the worst and making everybody prove themselves that they're not bad, if we, if we adopt a position in the world that is, that is loving until otherwise and not otherwise until loving, sometimes we will get burned. It happens. It happened to Jesus. It's a way of the cross to go out and love so much that you get burned. But when you know that God is with you and right behind you and that you will be resurrected on the last day, it casts out that fear and you can embrace love. Nothing ultimately can hurt me, so I am free to love. So let's put those words back up on the screen again. Love God and celebrate God's love for us in vibrant and creative worship. This is what we should be experiencing in worship, God's love. And you experience that directly through the Holy Spirit, comes right into our hearts, and you get caught up, and when you do, it's like nothing else. And you experience that through the love shown you by the people around you, by the people who claim to be Jesus' followers. And I know this part of the statement isn't really sort of pushy and outgoing and salesy for lack of a better term, salesy. But we're, the, the mission isn't that we're going to get into people's faces. I'm not again talking about religion, but this is not like getting into people's faces. This is first we hold ourselves accountable to being the kind of community Jesus wants us to be. So when we do talk about Jesus, our actions don't send a different message. We're doing the best we can to make this a safe and welcoming place.
And then, of course, there's the creative part. You know, I love the creative part. Like, why not let hang some gigantic spray-painted beach balls in your sanctuary? And uh, my philosophy, my philosophy with worship in general is that you more or less keep the format the same. And those of you who've been here a while know that the order of this service hasn't really moved much since about, what, 2011? And that's for a reason. Uh, partly, whenever I ask the worship committee, what should we change, I don't have great, and then nobody seems, everyone seems to like it. But the other thing is, I think there's a value in knowing what you, what's going to happen. So when you come, you're not stumbling around to figure it out. Because you know how that feeling when you're in a new place and you don't know what's expected, you know, you get, and once you get anxious, you get kind of defensive. It, it's an instinctive thing, and when you get anxious, then you're not open to the spirit. You're, that's that fear thing again, right? And even if it's just a dumb thing, like, will I drop the book? Or how do I find my place? I, I will never forget going to Boston to visit uh, with a friend of mine, and he wanted to get into this school, uh, this seminary in Boston, and it's been there for ages and ages because Boston's super old, and their chapel was from 1600-something. It was a stone building, and it was all solid rock. So it echoed. You dropped a pin, that thing echoed. They didn't use lavaliers. Uh, you could have whispered and heard everything. And, but they had rewritten the service. It was a traditional service, and they had a hymn book, but they wanted to change the language in this one. And then they had another hymn noble, but they had a supplement to that to change the language to that. And then they had an order of service that you had there. So you had two hymnals and two, and, and two addition supplements and an order of service, and you're balancing all this. And we're sitting there, and my friend's there with this professor he really wanted to study under, who was like his idol, and, and she's right in front of us, and we're trying to balance the books, and he's slips and the books fall out and hit the professor in the back and then falls on the floor, boom, through the whole thing and papers are scattering and he's like, oh, oh, he's like, oh no, there goes my future. No, she was very cool. She's like, yeah, it happens all the time. Because that's what happens when you carry two books and four supplements and all that kind of stuff. And I kept thinking, you know how much I got out of that service? I got a really good story to tell, but it wasn't very worshipful because I was spending all my energy figuring out what was going on. And even they admitted it, and they streamlined it later. And He ended up going there and was actually on their board. So life worked out. Uh, there was grace. But in general, I think there's a value in keeping the order the same, but not being rote. Which is why we're always like, I like to add little things. You know, we'll add special decorations for the season. We'll add music from different cultures. We'll, we'll, we'll add some of these things from time to time. And then we'll do special services where you can really go different. Because we're not all verbal learners, right? A lot of us are very visual. And we're not linear. Maybe it works better to draw or journal or something. So we do that at midweek services and special occasions because we all connect with God in different ways. And of course, we want to be flexible, which is part of why we're redoing this building, right? We're not going to have pews bolted to the floor anymore. We're not getting rid of all the pews, don't worry. Um, but they're not going to be bolted, because we don't know what the future is going to mean or need, right? So we're going to, bolt, we're, we're going to adapt. We're going to be flexible. And uh, so, so that in the future, we can best be the place where people can experience and know the love of God. 
Because love casts out fear, love casts out hate, and love changes lives. And the love of God changes lives and makes a difference forever. And if there's anything our world truly needs today, it is to know the love of God and to know a loving God. Amen.